recording. Okay. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Double Down, a WNBA podcast. My name is Eric Nemchak, alongside my co-host, Stephen Trinkwald. Stephen, we're going to be talking about the Minnesota Lynx today, continuing our team-by-team outlook series. But first, we have some quite a bit of news to report, actually, concerning the start of the 2020 season. Yeah, we figured we should go through team-by-team, talk about who has decided not to play this season, and what kind of substitutions the team has made from a roster construction standpoint to replace those players. Yeah, obviously there, uh, there has been some talk of a deadline for players to opt in or out of the season. The deadline continues to move around. So I'm not sure if you could really call that a deadline. It's, it's anybody you ask is going to say there's been a lot of fluidity to the situation as could be expected. I mean, with COVID-19 cases rising in Florida and all the logistics still need to be figured out, lots of moving parts, but There are quite a few players who have already either opted out or been suspended by their teams. So we're just going to go along team by team and talk about who's going to be playing, who's not, who has been signed in favor of those players who are choosing to sit out. So uh, let's get started. Sure. Let's start with the Atlanta Dream. Recently, Renee Montgomery and Tiffany Hayes announced that they would not be playing this season. That joins Maite Cazorla and Michaela Pivek in terms of international players that wouldn't be coming over. Atlanta has signed Jalen Agnew as a roster replacement and Benajah Laney as well. Uh, Chicago so far looks to have their entire roster, although Sidney Colson did recently test positive for COVID-19, so we'll see how that plays out. And for Connecticut, Jonquel Jones announced recently that she'll be sitting out this season. Connecticut brought in Beatrice Montpremier and Jackie Gemelos to kind of fill the void. Connecticut prior to Jones announcing that she would be sitting, could only afford 11 players with her uh, sitting out this season. They can now afford to start the season with 12 players on the roster. Yeah. And concerning Colson, uh, she would actually have to test negative twice for COVID-19 before rejoining the team. So we'll see what happens there. Um, continuing along the Indiana fever, they signed an international player, Bernadette Hattar. She's an enormous center. She's six foot ten, but she is unfortunately injured and therefore suspended for the season. The Los Angeles Sparks, they, uh, they're getting hit pretty hard by this situation. Uh, Maria Vadiva, we're very big on her, but she, is, she decided to sit out the season. She has been suspended. And then the other day, it was announced that both Christy Tolliver and Shanae Gumake would opt out for the 2020 season. Uh, The Sparks have since signed Taya Cooper and Rashonda Gray to fill those voids. Moving right along for the Minnesota Lynx, uh, Cecilia Zandalassini is staying home. Jessica Shepard is still recovering from her knee injury, suffered last season, so she has been temporarily suspended. And then, of course, Odyssey Sims uh, recently gave birth, so congratulations to her. We don't know when she'll be back or if she'll be back, but they have replaced those players at least temporarily with Megan Huff and Bridget Carlton. The New York Liberty, Marine Johannes, announced that she would not be coming over this year. Hanzu, Stephanie Talbot, and Rebecca Allen also will not be joining the Liberty this season. The Liberty recently signed Joyner Holmes in the wake of Rebecca Allen's uh, recent announcement that she wouldn't be coming over. In Phoenix, Yvonne Turner injured herself overseas and will miss the entirety of this season. And for Vegas, Jisoo Park will not be coming over, prompting Carolyn Swords to come out of her brief retirement. And finally, the Washington Mystics, Natasha Cloud and Latoya Sanders, recently announced that they would not be playing this season. And Washington recently signed Essence Carson to fill part of the backcourt void left by Natasha Cloud this season. Yeah, and the Mystics, they still have, as of our time of recording, they still have two roster spots available, so we'll see what they do there. Again, folks, this is a very fluid situation. Um, 
we're not sure what's going to happen. A lot of people aren't sure what's going to happen, but uh, I think I don't think it'd be much of a stretch, Stephen, to say that more people were expecting, more players were expecting to sit out and opt out of the season, and more signings to be made. So uh, we hope that you know everything can be done in a timely and respectable fashion, and that people can be healthy to play basketball. But yeah, we'll see. We will see. <laughs> Indeed, it's uh, a very dicey situation. Obviously, hope everybody makes the, the right decision for them and, and throughout that is able to stay healthy. Yeah, that's obviously the number one priority. Okay, so now that we've got that out of the way, um, let's move on to the Minnesota Lynx. Uh, I'm not sure either of us were particularly excited to talk about this team, but I've kind of come around on them a little bit. We've, we've got some good content here coming up. Uh, in 2019, obviously, it's, it was their first season without Maya Moore, who took the season off to for you know social justice reasons, which is... I mean, absolutely amazing. I mean, big kudos to Maya Moore. They went uh, 18 and 16, good for seventh place in the standings, tied for sixth uh, with Seattle Storm. Net rating, they ranked fifth, three points uh, ahead of their competition per 100 possessions. Offensively, they were about middle of the pack, scoring 98.8 points per 100 possessions. But defensively, they were really, really solid. They actually ranked second in the WNBA, allowing 95.8 points per 100 possessions. So, Stephen, where do you want to start with the Minnesota Lynx here? Well, let's start with the defense. You know, they, I think, in this kind of post Maya Moore, semi post Simone Augustus type identity, really kind of relied on defense to win games. Obviously, still had Sylvia Falls in the fold, you know, one of the, the great players in the history of the league. Defensively, they tied for the third highest transition frequency allowed. I think that was kind of one of their their few weaknesses defensively, I would say. They had the third highest points per possession allowed in transition as well, but they were second overall in half-court defense. They only allowed the fifth lowest frequency of shots allowed at the rim. I actually expected that to be a little bit better and had the third highest field goal percentage allowed in that area. So so pretty surprising numbers just in terms of, you know, having three traditional front court players at a time, two traditional bigs. Interestingly enough, they were also 10th in defending post-ups on a points-per-play basis, but they had the lowest frequency in the league by far. You know, teams just aren't throwing down there against Sylvia Fowles. Sylvia Fowles had 45 total post-up possessions against her on, on the defensive end. Griner was the next lowest number at 49. And then in terms of starting centers, like everybody was 75 or above. So those two players, you know, you're, you're just not going to try them for straight post-ups. It's not going to work uh, as we saw. And, you know, even maybe reputation kind of preceded the statistics at least a little bit. Defensively, they also tied for the third highest three-point attempt rate. You know, one thing that we've been seeing in kind of reviewing these team outlooks is teams that are giving up a lot of threes, you know, they're, they're still correlating with successful defenses. So the Lynx were also third in defensive rebounding and had the fourth lowest free throw attempt rate. So where, where should we kind of start in terms of, you know, what, what made Minnesota so good? Well, I just wanted to add a couple things. Um, Historically speaking, uh, I feel like the Minnesota Lynx have been, you know, they're not the team that they once were when they won something like 180 games during their dynasty period, which I think, I think you could safely call them the last great WNBA dynasty. Of course, you know, we've yet to see who will, who will rise to that challenge next, or if there will even be another dynasty in the WNBA, but they've always been a good defensive rebounding team. And they've always been a team that hasn't really ever put the opponent at the free throw line very often. So I think those two, I think those two simple uh, fundamental principles of their defense is, is something that's been characteristic in the, in the Cheryl Rivera. And it's something that has just worked out for them for a very long time. But as far as individual players go, I mean, I think you have to start with Sylvia Fowles. I think the defense begins and ends with Sylvia Fowles here. Uh, as you said, she's been 
one of the all-time great WNBA players, particularly on the defensive end, just because, I mean, if you just watch her, like she's still one of the top rim protectors. She's still one of the top defensive rebounders. And the team is just, you, you can't really replace a Sylvia Fowles on defense. No, I mean, what, what can you say about Sylvia Fowles? She is amazing. You know, last season on the offensive end, she tied for the second lowest usage of her career last season. She dipped under 40% free throw attempt rate for the first time since her rookie season, and she dropped all the way down to 296. So really kind of a different game offensively. You saw her really kind of obviously still a dominant post player, but wanted to stretch out for the jump shot a little bit more last season than we had seen in, in previous years. You know, last week we had mentioned Neko Gulmake, second all-time in true shooting percentage. Well, Sylvia Fowles is number one, the most efficient offensive player in the history of the league. Where where defensively do you kind of see Sylvia Fowles now compared to where she was sort of at the peak of her powers? Well, I mean, the peak of her powers wasn't too long ago. I mean, she won an MVP award in 2017 where she was really just killing everything. Um, she's probably not as 100% of effective as she used to be, but I think she still, she still obviously ranks in the top tier of defensive centers. I didn't actually know that the, the, the figure that you provided a few minutes ago about post-ups allowed, like they only allowed 45 post-ups versus Sylvia Fowles. That's pretty amazing to me. She's just a player who is, I mean, obviously she's big and she's still pretty athletic for her age, but she's just got that very strong base, you know? So if people aren't, aren't trying to throw the ball down there against Sylvia Fowles because it's just not going to work. You know, you think about post-ups, they're not really a, usually a high efficiency play anyway, but it's, 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 it's downright useless against Sylvia Fowles, like an ISO post-up, unless you have another elite center. And even then it's like, you could probably get something different. So I think just the ability to deter post-ups and make teams like, you know, more of a, a more jump shooting teams. Sylvia Fowles is still an elite defender in that regard. In my opinion, I think the synergy statistics aren't as favorable for the, aren't as favorable towards her, in 2019 as they were previously. But I mean, once again, like when she's in the game, you can do so many different things defensively and there's just no replacing her on defense. So in my opinion, she's going to be an impactful defensive player until the day she retires. Yeah, for sure. And I think she's, you know, maybe not prime Sylvia Fowles, but still obviously an impactful one-on-one defender, still a great team defender in my eyes as well. So really the only knocks I would have on her game kind of overall is, you know, I just wish she was a little bit more aggressive offensively particularly last year, you know, with Simone Augustus missing so much time with Maya Moore stepping away. Uh, I really thought there were opportunities for her to just be more assertive on that end. She had 11 games last season with less than 10 shooting possessions total, you know, looking at some of the other premier centers in this league, you know, Liz had two such games. John Quill Jones had five such games. Brittany Griner had three such games. So, you know, obviously she's not a Brittany Griner offensively. You know, her efficiency is right up there with anybody, but she doesn't quite have the, more so than anything, the mentality to just dump it down again and again and again. You know, she she is not a usage monster in that way, but for a team that was a little bit starved of offense at times, you know, as you mentioned, they were only six in the league. Um, it would have been nice and probably effective, I think, to to see her take a larger role there. And then she's... No great shakes as a passer. She's fine, but obviously she's an all-time player, so we're, we're picking nits. And you're absolutely right. Just one thing I kind of want to put into perspective there is her percentage of, of post-ups. I, I'm just kind of concerned about Sylvia Fowles. Like you say, she might not be as aggressive as she once, once was, but I think that might be, you know, kind of trying to pull back the load on her a little bit to help keep her in, in prime shape. In 2017, you know, like I said, her MVP season, 14% 
of the plays were post-ups, which ranked second in the league. Then the following season, 12.4% of plays were post-ups, tied for third. Then last season, 10.1% of plays were post-ups, fourth. Uh, so, like, they're still looking to post up, like, maybe more than average, but it's not really a, a dump it down to fouls every single possession anymore. So, I, I don't know. I, I, think, I think when you look at the lengths, like, the trajectory of this roster, they're slowly trying to turn them from a, a largely a two-point shooting team into maybe a little more of a balanced offense. Uh, we're going to get into their shot chart a little bit, but I think their recent signings and offseason moves would kind of reflect this change of philosophy. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. I think they lost some kind of key components uh, in the offseason in terms of kind of continuing to build out that, that more modern shot chart, which we can get to in a little bit. Uh, so let's get into the offense a little bit. Overall, they were sixth, as you mentioned. They were second in frequency in terms of shots within five feet and third in field goal percentage there. So uh, between the post-ups and some of their perimeter players, flawed as they may be, definitely able to, to get to the basket and score pretty effectively there for their position. And then, of course, you have, you know, Collier and Falls as well. Tenth and three-point attempt rate. You know, we hope to see that go up, as you had kind of alluded to before with some of their additions. Uh, they were tied for the second lowest free throw attempt rate. Pretty surprising to me for some of the players that they have. They did have the highest turnover percentage in the league and the second highest in terms of opponent steal percentage. So that definitely led to a lot of the live ball turnovers and led to their sort of high proportion of transition opportunities that, that I had spoke about earlier. They were only sixth in transition frequency on offense and ninth in efficiency. You know, Daniel Robinson really drove down their efficiency in transition last year. Amazingly, only 0.748 points per possession on 104 possessions. That's a huge volume. And, and so she was only in the 15th percentile. And, you know, we always say that kind of middling efficiency in transition is still a net positive with high volume, but not in this case. You know, that number, 0.748, that's so much lower than like your average uh, or typical half court play. So despite Robinson really wanting to get out and run, she just like was not effective at it at all. They were eighth in frequency in terms of pick and rolls. That includes passes. They were eighth in frequency in terms of pick and roll plays by the ball handler, eighth in frequency in terms of pick and roll plays by the roller. So you had mentioned it before, fourth in frequency in post-ups and also fourth in efficiency there. And then they were second in efficiency in plays coming off screens, uh, but only 10th in frequency. And that efficiency was largely driven by a player we'll get into a little bit later, Lexi Brown, being in the 95th percentile on pretty decent frequency in terms of coming off of screens. So when you speak about the Lynx offensively last season, the one, th the first thing that really jumps out to me is, as you said, the turnovers. It was it was weird. Like they ranked last in the league in turnover percentage, but they were first in opponents' turnover percentage. So they really, a lot of their games are really, I don't know, chaotic. Like they they had a lot of extra possessions, and as you said, a lot of live ball turnovers. Um, Daniel Robinson being so poor efficiently in, in transition is it was shocking to me because if you think of Daniel Robinson, you think, well, that's a player who's going to make most of her, most of her killings in, in the full court, right? Because of her speed and also because of her, her inefficiency in the half court. But that was not the case last season. Um, when they, they got to the first round of the playoffs, they lost to the Seattle Storm. They lost the turnover battle 18 to 11. That really kind of defined the Lynx season to me because one, they weren't really able to manufacture that much easy offense. And two, they weren't able to take care of the basketball against a team that wants to speed you up on the defensive end. So I get that, you know, like, of course, you know, Lindsey Whalen also retired the previous season, right? So that's, that's a Hall of Fame point guard that you're missing. But it just seemed to me like the Minnesota Lynx were not really able to get into a solid offensive groove throughout 
much of the season. There were some bright spots, which we're going to get into, you know, individually. Nafisa Collier is obviously one. Lexi Brown had her moments. Um, Odyssey Sims was a huge part of their offense, which we will discuss. But as a team, I feel like the Minnesota Lynx were, were just missing that one player who could, I don't know, really go out and be my more, I guess. I don't know. Because one play in particular was isolation. That was a big problem for them. They only got 2.3% of their possessions by isolation, which was less than the WNBA. I don't feel like that's that's a bad thing, but the bad thing would be that they only scored 0.565 points per possessions on isolations. That is by far the worst in the WNBA last year, and that really just speaks to me. Like, you know, there were really no players on the team who could get their own shot consistently, and if they can't establish Sylvia fouls in the post – if they can't get a good look coming off a screen, the offense just really bogs down. Yeah. Or, you know, kind of other ways where they might get like a system bucket, like a Nafisa Collier cut or something like that. You know, she was obviously a terrific cutter, but when the game really slows down and and all five players on the other side are like locked in, you you do kind of need someone to really just go get a tough bucket. And I do think that they did lack that a lot. Um, But let's talk about a player that I think you and I differ on a little bit. And it'll probably, as this conversation unfolds, come off as that we are are differing on her a little bit more than we really do. Um, but Odyssey Sims, uh, you had in your notes that you think that they might not miss her that much this season. And, you know, as much as I'm not a huge fan of Odyssey Sims' game, like, I think they desperately need Sims. Okay, explain why. Well, I mean, you just need a player who, even if she doesn't have her own amazing efficiency, like individually, you need someone to put pressure on a defense through dribble penetration, forcing a defense to react. So again, this is an offense that was second in frequency in shots within five feet and just lost both of their guards that can actually get to that area of the floor on their own and replace those players with Rachel Bannum and a 5'5 rookie who, you know, had really impressive numbers in, in college, but there's going to be an adjustment period in the league for sure, especially for someone with, with her size, I would imagine. You know, Sims overall, she was 15th in the league in usage, went from 19.5% her last season in LA to 25.5% last year in her first season in Minnesota. And she had the highest assist percentage of the 17 players with 25 plus percent usage or higher. So the ball was going through Odyssey Sims on this offense a lot. You know, I don't think she's any sort of amazing shakes at creating for others, but she does it. You know, she, she's a, an okay passer off the drive. You know, she does get to the rim a decent amount and, and draws help attention. So she was a force for them in transition, second in the league, only to Diamond to Shields in terms of total transition possessions. So, you know, what she brings to the, the court, 30% of her shots coming within five feet, 55% finishing within five feet. You know, that's a pretty good combination of of getting there and, and finishing, you know, in terms of primary perimeter creators, you're really looking at only a handful of other players in the league that are giving you that neighborhood of getting there consistently and finishing efficiently. You know, she's not amazing, but I think they they desperately need her. Sure. And I'll give you that. I mean, outside of her, there really aren't that many people on this team who can get to the rim and finish on a a consistent basis or get to the rim and and create at least on a consistent basis. And I do have that, you know, the, the biggest loss to me for Sims is someone who can get into the paint. Because if you look at this roster now, they have, they have some ball handlers, but nobody who can really take anybody off the bounce and get to the rim or take anybody off the bounce and draw defense. It's like how the Lynx are going to be defended in the half court this season is going to be a lot different than they were last season, and a lot of that is because of Sims. 
in the half court, like she was not good, especially as a, as an isolation and a handoff player. And like, she wasn't really a good catch and shoot player either, but I can see where you're coming from. Like she does have a nice take to the rim. She's extremely left-handed, but Hey, I mean, wh- whichever way you can get into the paint and on a consistent basis and also soak up so much of that usage. I mean, that's another thing that I have a question about for this team heading into next season, like whether or not Sims comes back. I mean, I don't think we're going to expect her to have that huge usage that she did last season, even if she's in tip-top shape when she returns. So it's like, who, wh- where is that usage going? Is it going to Lexi Brown? Is it going to Shanice Johnson? Is it going to Nafisa Collier or Rachel Bannum? All these players, you know, is it going to be more of an offense, like a shot creation by committee? I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure that the statistics will be spread around a little bit more, but how effectively will they be distributed is, is my, is my main question there. Like who is, who is going to be the main shot creator for this team? Yeah. I, I just don't know how good of an offense you can be if, you know, you're relying solely on sort of the system buckets, floor spacing from your, your front court players and, and kind of dumping it down to a player who, you know, isn't known for uh, a crazy high usage in Sylvia Falls. So, uh, in terms of Sims, you know, you had mentioned it, not some great shakes in terms of being a, a high efficiency player. She was in the 23rd percentile of individual offense in the half court, but she did get all the way up to the 68th percentile if you include assists. So she brings a value add in terms of her passing that I think this team is is desperately going to need without her. Okay, so would you like to talk about the players who might be replacing those minutes? Yeah, let's get into the guards that they brought in this season. If we could maybe start out with the point guard that I think you were pretty high on out of the draft, Crystal Dangerfield. Okay, so Crystal Dangerfield, I mean, I understand why she fell as far as she did to number 16, because she is small. She's five foot five at best, and like it's <laughs> and it's not like she's, you know, super buff or anything either. Um, so it's it's difficult to make a make your hay in the WNBA if you are consistently smaller than anyone you're going against. However, I think she's a great floor general. She's a very good three-point shooter. Um, and she's got, you know, people might roll their eyes at this, but she's got the UConn pedigree. You know, she's, she comes from a great offensive system. She's used to playing with other top-tier talents. Uh, and that's, that's something that you sometimes you just can't account for. I don't think she's going to be starting right away. I think, you know, someone like Lexi Brown or Rachel Bannum through their tenure in the WNBA has, has earned that. But I do think Dangerfield can come in and at least provide some of that pace that they're, they're going to be lacking with Sims, with Sims being out. Because, I mean, if you look at, you know, the you said Sims ranked second in the WNBA in total transition opportunities. It is concerning to me, like, how are you going to be an efficient half-court offense if you're just relying on system buckets and you don't really have a player, like a lead guard, who can consistently push the basketball? To me, I think that's what Dangerfield's role is going to be early on. Just like get out and run. And if you don't have anything there, get it to your more veteran players and try and get open for a three-point shot. Maybe her ceiling is a little bit limited because of her size, but I do think she'll be able to, just because of her basketball IQ and her pedigree, will be able to at least establish herself as a solid backup point guard in the league. We'll see where it happens on this team. Like this team might be a good fit for her because they don't really have a true, quote-unquote, true point guard Outside of Crystal, outside of herself, Crystal Dangerfield. So, I'm high in her for this team. We'll see where the minutes fall, but uh, I think Lexi Brown is going to get the primary crack at point guard. What do you think? I mean, I guess I'm pretty high on Dangerfield just kind of through osmosis, like listening to you talk about her game and then her fit with Shara Reeve. So, you know, as far as being a five-five point guard, you know, there might not have been a better situation to go to. Maybe one that 
has a primary ball handler where maybe she wouldn't be thrusted into the fire so quickly. But I mean, in terms of, you know, if you're starting a backcourt of some combination of two players of Rachel Bannum, Lexi Brown, and Shanice Johnson, like you are sorely lacking in playmaking. Mm-hmm. Let, let's talk about Rachel Bannum a little bit before we kind of get into the players that, that they already had on their roster. What did you think about the Lynx bringing in Bannum? I mean, I, I get it. Like this is, I feel like this is kind of a, a transition season for Minnesota. And I don't mean, you know, transition, transition in the full court. I mean, like transition as far as roster construction is concerned, because, um, you know, a lot was being made about, well, they tried to get Skylar Diggins, but they struck out. They tried to get Duana Bonner, but they struck out. So no real, they were not able to really get a high profile free agent to replace Odyssey Sims to replace Maya Moore. Obviously there's no replacing Maya Moore. Right. But I'm saying like Rachel Bannon was maybe kind of a, a placeholder if you will, she's from the area, you know, you know, people, she'll put fans in the seats. I don't think she really had a great career in Connecticut, you know, because she was, just wasn't enough room for a player of her type. You know, she can't really defend. She can't really create shots. So she's going to be out there as a three point shooter. Honestly, I don't think that that's going to change much here. They can try to say she's a point guard. And if you mean point guard by just saying someone who's going to bring the ball up before and initiate the offense, fine. But I don't think Rachel Bannon is going to be initiating much offense for the Minnesota Lynx. Well, and last year, you know, Connecticut was kind of forced to to play her in that role for, you know, the handful or so games um, between Leisure Clarendon going down and Connecticut bringing in Natisha Heideman, and it, it did not go well. You know, for the season, Rachel Bannum, 26 assists, 26 turnovers. Nice. Um, you know, I think pretty much across the board, the players that Minnesota brought in are kind of worse than the players that they're replacing. You know, I think, you know, in a vacuum, I probably would rather have, if it's just for a bench role, rather have Rachel Bannon than Daniel Robinson, but this team kind of now needs what Daniel Robinson brings to the table. Like Bannon is worse at, at everything Daniel Robinson does well in terms of defense, getting to the basket. Um, you know, obviously she brings you floor spacing, a, a 62.5% three-point attempt rate. So she's taking a lot of threes, but, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, dribble penetration. Rachel Bannon took three shots within five feet last year. Wow. So she's, she's not someone that's going to get to the basket. She's not going to create for others. And, you know, overall for her career, her shooting really hasn't kind of lived up to her reputation. So um, I would like this signing a lot more if Odyssey Sims was playing and if Rachel Bannon was kind of guaranteed to be coming uh, off the bench in a much more kind of limited role where she's not going to be asked to create. But I think her and Lexi Brown, they're, they're going to be asked to, to kind of create probably a little bit more than they really have in them. Are you higher on Lexi Brown than you're on Rachel Bannon? Yeah, I am higher on Lexi Brown. I think Lexi Brown is a, a good WNBA player. You know, she's not perfect. And I, I think she's got a, a little ways to go defensively, but she's pretty good, I think. You know, definitely at least a, a high-end rotation player, if not like a solid starter throughout her, her career. But, you know, 15% of her shots within five feet last season, that's, you know, definitely a downgrade from what Danielle Robinson is giving you. But Lexi Brown, of course, like Bantam can space the floor a little bit more. She was 12 for 43. That's 28% shooting on, on two pointers outside of five feet. That was 20% of her shots. So that's not good. That's got to change. Her, her profile has to get a little bit more modern. You know, her, her 646 three-point attempt rate is good, but I think she does have the chops to get to the basket a little bit more. She was in the 84th percentile on spot-ups, 81st percentile on catch and shoot. So she's definitely like a threat out there. 93rd percentile on unguarded catch and shoot opportunities. So you definitely, you know, you got to be aware of where Lexi Brown is at all times of her 31 total attempts within five feet, 
14 of those were in transition. So about half of them were kind of in the half court. 14 of those were, were running either pick and rolls or handoffs. So she kind of needs to have an advantage created for her, whether it's, you know, given a little space by a screen or, you know, she's always going to be one of the more athletic people on the court. So transition, you know, she definitely can be a monster in transition uh, in my eyes, but she's not a plus passer. And I, I think they need a plus passer somewhere on this roster. You know, only a, a 12.6 assist percentage last year, 47 total assists to 41 total turnovers. And 21 of those 41 turnovers were categorized as bad passes. So, but, you know, she turns defense into offense pretty good. She, she steals uh, a lot of balls. She gets her hand on a lot of passes. I think kind of her play-by-play defense in terms of attentiveness could stand to improve, but I think more time in Minnesota's system will, will lead to that. But I think she's a good player. I think the jury is still kind of out on Lexi Brown as a point guard because last season they had both Sims and, and, and Daniel Robinson playing that position. And Lexi Brown was mainly used as like a, like an off ball shooter, which she's great at, but I mean, something like, you know, like there's not a lot of data to work with as far as pick and rolls or, or shot creation for other people. I don't think she's ever going to truly excel at that area, but I think she can at least be competent at it. And I don't know if I'd call her like a starting caliber player, but Sixth woman for sure. She's a player who can get hot in a hurry. She can. She is a player who can, you know, knock down multiple threes in a row. She's. You can't leave her, no matter what. She's great spotting up. She's great in the unguarded catch and shoot, as you said. So my question for for her is just, hey, can you transition from a bench off ball player to a starting player who is expected to create more shots for others? And that's a pretty big transition. However, you know, she did experienced a lot of success as a point guard in college for some pretty prestigious programs in Maryland and Duke. So I think she's got it in her. I'd say, yeah, she's probably the favorite to start at PG for the Lynx, at least initially. Although I don't think she's going to, I think it'd be unfair to expect the same amount of usage from Lexi Brown as we saw from Odyssey Sims last season. Yeah. And to be honest, I, I don't think she has that role in her. I think it's kind of just that she, even more so than you know, the finishing, she just doesn't have any ability to make like a dribble move with her left hand. You know, she, she's a very right hand dominant player and she's pretty good at getting to the rim. You know, okay. I should say she's, she's okay getting to the rim with her right hand, but she's got to sure up that left hand, at least in the dribble game a little bit more. And, you know, if we are looking at a a lineup of, you know, Lexi Brown and, and Bantam and Nafisa Collier, Sylvia Fowles, and Demir Stantis. Like, Demir Stantis might be the best passer in that starting lineup, amazingly enough. And that's, that's, not, a, that's not a good thing. Let's talk about the, the reigning rookie of the year, Nafisa Collier. Uh, an amazing oh. season, obviously. Amazing season. Amazing season. Uh, Nafisa Collier. If I, okay, so I'm like not a coach or anything. Nobody would want that. But if I was to tell like a young up and coming basketball player to watch, to model her game after a WNBA player, I think Nafisa Collier would be near the top of that list just because she's so like, you don't think of Nafisa Collier as like a tremendous athlete or anything like that, or even like a tremendous shooter, but she still gets so many great results and she's still so efficient because she's so smart. She makes, makes amazing reads. As you, as you said, she's a great cut player. And then defensively, I mean, she's just, she's a monster. I think she could have made WNBA all defensive team last season, but you know, politics and rookies and all that stuff. She's long. She has great anticipation on both ends of the floor. You can plug her in basically almost anywhere on either end of the floor and she'll excel for you. So going into the season, I think she was probably the most WNBA ready player from the 2019 draft class. And uh, she did not disappoint. 
Yeah, she showed it to be sure. 14th in the league in true shooting percentage last season. She took 41% of her shots within five feet and finished at 67.5% within five feet. That is pretty darn good for a player who was ostensibly playing the small forward position. You know, a 243 three-point attempt rate, not amazing, but good. 296 free throw attempt rate, pretty darn respectable. Listen to these numbers real quick. 92nd percentile as a half-court player offensively. 85th percentile driving to the basket in spot up possessions. You know, she really liked to kind of break you down off, like with the dribble off the left hand. 96th percentile on post-ups. 96th percentile on shots around the basket that weren't post-ups. And she's such a great cutter, not only in terms of efficiency where she was in the 89th percentile, but also on volume. Fourth in total possessions and the three above her were all centers. And so keep in mind, you know, the the cutting categorization can be a little tricky because like, Let's say a Odyssey Sims gets all the way to the basket and Sylvia Falls is standing in the dunker spot and Sims just dumps it down to her. That's considered a cut when it's not really a cut. So for the the three players above her, they were all centers. So when you're taking out those kind of dump off passes in the dunker spot, like she was as active as a cutter as pretty much anybody in the league. And she did it as well as just about anybody in the league. So, you know, I, I mentioned her post-ups briefly. She has such great hands on those post-entry passes. She really just has to get a fingertip on it and she's bringing it in. And, you know, one thing I talked about with um, Asia Wilson a little while back is one thing that I think she could improve on was like bringing the ball down and, and kind of pump faking and, and getting herself into a spot that, that's a little bit tougher for her to finish. Collier doesn't really kind of have that. You know, she will bring the ball down a little bit, but she's usually getting fouled there. And she's just, I think, a little bit understands angles maybe a little bit better because those shots just were not getting blocked for for Nafisa Collier and she's obviously a smaller player you know one thing I kind of expected from her was to be a little bit more ambidextrous uh you know I think she's willing and able to go to the left hand but I would describe her maybe as good not great at it and you know misses some finishes left-handed that she would make ready but this was like a huge area of improvement over the course of the season. Like she was pretty shaky with her left hand early on in the season, you know, just maybe kind of catching up to the speed of the game or what have you. But, you know, as the season went on, she was like really good compared to kind of where she started off. So, and then you mentioned the defense, like what can you say about it? So much positional versatility. One of four players last season that had a two and a half percent block rate and a two and a half percent steal rate, the floor game, ceiling, moving, screening, passing. She's, she's great. She's going to be a great player for a long time. I remember uh, it was Nafisa Collier's sophomore season at UConn. She put up an effective field goal percentage of 70.2%. I saw that and I, my jaw dropped. I was just like, holy smokes. Like, is this, what is this? Is the system? Is she just bigger and better than everybody else? No. Like, she's just so intelligent and, and has such a great feel for the game and is so fundamentally sound. And I think that's, that's amazing to see for, you know, obviously this is the best league in the world and the athleticism is, is the best in the world, but it's so amazing to see a player who's, who doesn't really stand out explosively speaking to still be that effective and that efficient on offense and still have a ceiling too. I mean, they just certainly have a, a gem in Nafisa Collier. I am so excited to watch her develop. You said she was playing mostly the three last season. I think she could play some four as well. You know, I think she could, really function well in some small ball lineups. Yeah. And one thing I was going to say is like my like intuitive nature is to want a player like Nafisa Collier to play at the four, but yeah. with her specifically and with this team and this roster construction, I mean, she was so good at just taking advantage of other threes and, you know, getting 
herself in between the defender's body and the basket and sealing them off and catching those post-entry passes. Like she wasn't sort of like putting you in the goal like a big player normally would, but she was still using her her body and her strength in kind of the opposite way where she's sealing you away from the basket as she kind of gets herself in between to catch that pass in a way that is like so impressive for a young player. You know, maybe the one area you would like to see her improve, I, I guess, and again, we're, we're really... Uh, nitpicking here, but I don't think she's like some amazing kind of high leverage passer. You know, over 40% of her turnovers were were bad passes and, you know, she's willing to swing the ball. I think she's like a, a very willing passer and stuff like that, but I, I don't consider her like a playmaker necessarily. I could agree with that. I mean, she's, I feel like she's great for this system because the system is so dependent on system buckets, if that makes any sense. But the playmaking, I guess, could improve a little bit, but I can't find any knocks on her game outside of that. She Maybe she could modernize her shot chart a tiny bit, like cut down on the long twos. But, I mean, we're nitpicking. Like, Nafisa Collier, highly, highly deserved rookie of the year. Yeah, and she's she was a borderline, like, top 15 player last year. Um, she was great all around, a great offensive player, obviously a great defensive player as well. Um, you know, one thing I'll be interested to see is just kind of how she does hold up against bigger fours if given that opportunity as her career goes on. You know, I think she was not amazing as a – a post defender. I think she could get bullied a little bit down there by some of the bigger fours, but you know, it was her rookie year. She, she's got a little bit of a, a slight frame, I guess, for a four. So I, I expect that to improve and, you know, her career is going to be a delight to watch over the next few years. Now uh, you mentioned Demiris Dantas as a pretty important player for them. Um, she had a pretty significant role for the team last season. Yeah. And I think in some ways she is like, you know, outside of having a star player at the power forward position for them, she's like kind of the perfect role player complement to Sylvia Falls. Obviously can can stretch the floor really well, had over a 50% three-point attempt rate, but she also was over 20% in terms of her assist percentage. So uh, she was a, a really, really good high to low passer, particularly to Falls and to Collier. And with her combination of passing and floor spacing and you know, she's not an amazing defensive player, but I think a solid one. You know, I, I really, really liked what she brought to this team. Me too. And Dante's, I think, is a player who, it took her a little while to come into her own as a WNBA player, but the skills were always there. The tools were always there. Uh, and seeing her turn into like a stretch four was not that surprising. But the passing, I think, is a, is a nice little bonus there. Maybe that's the result of not having that many actual shot creators on offense. Um, I'm kind of curious to see what's going to happen next season as far as, you know, like, you're not going to have a ball dominant guard anymore. So is Dante still going to be asked to, you know, initiate, she's probably going to be asked to be initiated even more high low passing, right? Yeah. So players last season with a, a 50% or higher three point attempt rate in over 20% assist percentage, Sammy Wickham, Blake Dietrich, Maureen Johannes, Leilani Mitchell, Brooke McCarty Williams, Jameer Faulkner, Damaris Dantes. So all guards and Damaris Dantes. She Great. is you know, I think categorizing her as a three and D player, like undersells her passing a little bit, but you know, she has real passing chops down there. You know, I, I mentioned the high low game, but it's not just the high low game. She'll, she'll dime you up whether it's on a cut or, you know, on the rare opportunities where she draws kind of help defense near the basket, you know, she'll um, hit a nice little wraparound pass once in a while. So, and I think, you know, she, she really doesn't play outside of herself. She took 135 jump shots in the half court last season, and only 16 of those were off the dribble. So she's not going to kind of force what's not there. And she was in the 92nd percentile in the league as a pick and roll roller. But the vast majority of those were obviously, you know, popping out uh, with, with falls down there. 
77% of her pick and roll plays, she popped and she was in the 95th percentile as a, a pick and pop player. So offensively, you know, I think she, she brought an element at power forward in, in the floor spacing. You know, we mentioned um, Nafisa Collier didn't have, you know, wasn't effective three point shooter, but not a, a huge volume three point shooter. So I think Damaris Dantas, her, her shooting element and kind of the other things that she brought to the table were something that this team really needed and something that, you know, I, I really enjoyed seeing out of her. I, I'm, I kind of wish that I, I knew what her game was like as like uh, on the lower levels when she was kind of up and coming, because she seems like the kind of player who, you know, against lesser competition would just like almost kind of dominate with her passing and, and out of like the low post and stuff like that. And if I can just talk about her defensively a little bit, you know, she is flawed to be sure, you know, not a gifted athlete, I think vertically or laterally, but has some pretty good length can contest. Well, you know, we've seen her guard the bigger power forwards as well as, the more athletic ones like a Dewana Bonner and she, she holds up pretty well there. So if you're just kind of looking strictly at her rebounding numbers, you know, they're not amazing, but I think she is someone that is a plus for you on your team rebounding because she's a pretty solid box out player. She was the the second worst player defending uh, rollers in the pick and roll last season, but over 80% of those were pops. And, you know, they did play a pretty conventional scheme where they would drop the big kind of sell out to defend the rim and then just try to re- recover to the shooter and live with the results. So I'm not sure kind of how to evaluate that particular aspect of her defense, but I think overall she is a plus defensively. And I have to admit, I have to think that like Dantes's role is going to be even larger this coming season without a true ball dominant point guard, even if like her passing isn't, uh, if her passing remains about the same, which, which would still be pretty good. Like a 20, 20% assist, assist rate for a, a forward is, is obviously amazing. But um, if she's going to be maybe out there setting more of the screens for like Alexi Brown or a Rachel Bannon type of player, you said earlier, like, Hey, Someone like Lexi Brown or, or Bantam, they need a, a screen to help to make move make a move in space. Who better to do that than a player who is in the 95th percentile in pick and pop percentage? You know. Sure. So where where do you kind of see this team this upcoming season? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Where do we kind of see them playing out? You know, in in the hierarchy of the league. Starting for strengths, I think, uh, like I said, until Sylvia Fowles retires, you have to count her as a strength, which she's good at, because I mean, she just brings. We said it a thousand times already, but she just brings very stout front court defensive. Post ups are discouraged. Shots at the rim are discouraged. She's still a very, very good defensive rebounder, which is critically important. And she's still a very efficient scorer at the rim. So, team strengths, anything related to Sylvia Fowles. Uh, and I, I think that maybe if there is a pro to the, uh, the Sims absence, it's going to be that their shot distribution is going to be more modernized. I'm not sure. Maybe they're not going to have as many shots at the rim because Sims is out, but I think they're going to, I think it's, it's a foregone conclusion actually that they're going to have more three point shots attempted. Even like you're going to have Lexi Brown and Rachel Bantam. Yeah. But you know, she did Shanice Johnson and then a healthy cream of Christmas Kelly, who I don't think should be over, uh, overlooked. Those are also players who can shoot the three pointer. Um, and of course, and, and they signed, you know, uh, Megan Huff as a replacement player. She is a stretch four, stretch five as well. So they just have, I think, a lot more potential for floor spacing out there. What do you think? Yeah, I am, I guess, not sold on on that particular aspect of it. You know, I think Karima Christmas Kelly, you know, she's played 12 games since the end of 2017. So it just kind of remains to be seen what she's bringing to you uh, as a shooter or, or as a player in general. And her career numbers aren't, you know, amazing anyway. Shanice Johnson isn't an amazing three-point shooter. Even including Rachel Bannum, like I think, you know, Stephanie Talbot is kind of a better player than, than any of the players that they brought in. And 
definitely a better shooter in my eyes. So from a starting five perspective, I think they are going to have a very balanced floor and, and able to at least space it well. You know, the, the dribble penetration, I think, is going to be a huge weakness. But bench shooting and overall kind of bench play, I, I definitely have my questions on, you know, strengths, front court defense, to be sure, rebounding, to be sure, um, coaching, you know, sure, Ravy's going to get the most out of this roster, whatever it looks like. And I really am not having a, an easy time coming up with really any other strengths for for this team. You know, they'll have a good high-low game with uh, Dantas and, and Falls, but uh, in terms of weaknesses, you know, dribble penetration and playmaking, to be sure. I think they have good passing from their front court players, Collier and, and Dantas in particular, but, you know, I think there's a difference between being a good passer and being a good playmaker. Like, those That's players right. are kind of more stationary uh, passers in my eyes. They're going to struggle with pick and roll on offense, guarding point guards, Maybe Lexi Brown will be kind of up to the challenge there, but it, I think it's fair to to wonder. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm not some huge Odyssey Sims fan, but I'm, I'm pretty worried about this team without her. Well, one thing I, I didn't mention about Sims, and, and I'd like to add it to her uh, her resume from last season. Uh, she was in the 86th percentile as a pick and roll ball handler defender. So they they're going to be missing, I think, that that point of attack defensive uh, player. So that's. But you're absolutely the thing that was running through my mind as you were going through those is that passing is different than playmaking. That's you, you took the words right out of, out of my brain. So, yeah, their they're pick and roll play, I think on both ends of the floor, to be honest, just running the pick and roll and defending the pick and roll might be, might be an issue. And uh, in this league, that's something that you can ill afford to have as a problem. So what do you see kind of as this team's uh, destiny with what we know now and kind of who's who's opted in who's opted out throughout the league and what this roster looks like it's going to kind of shake out to be well i think the departure of stephanie talbot and the opt-out of cecilia zandalasini hurt because as you said they are they're reliable three-point shooters but you kind of know what you're getting as far as like a health a health perspective you said kareem and christmas kelly and Janice johnson haven't really been healthy for a few seasons now so, and then just the questions at point guard, you know, the, how, how much longer can Sylvia Fowles be Sylvia Fowles, the lack of real shot creation and playmaking ability. I wouldn't be surprised if this team misses the playoffs. However, they're in a better position than some of these teams that have already lost a lot of players to opt-outs. For instance, like if Sylvia Fowles opted out or if Nafisa Collier opted out, then I'd be like, okay, well, this team is in a world of trouble but I think they can maybe they can at least like compete for a low playoff position as they did last season. Again, things are so fluid around the league right now. Like this might be, this might, this might already be out of date by the time anyone else hears us, hears us talking about it. But uh, I think like seventh or eighth seed is probably a realistic target for this team. How about you? Yeah, I am so hesitant to count this team out, but just kind of looking at their strengths, which are very important and, you know, the strengths that they have, they're they're firmly in the category of strengths. Like they're not kind of, eh, maybe they'll be good at front court defense. Like those three players on on in the front court, particularly Collier and Fowles. Like those are are very very plus defensive front court players. Um, Shara Reeve is probably the best coach in the league, or or at least one of the the top three or so. But their weaknesses are are very glaring to me. You know, I. I I think where they are in terms of their guard rotation is very, very concerning. And and I don't want to keep um, beating the same drum, but I think the most likely scenario for them is, you know, I think they're going to be better than Dallas. They're going to be better than New York. You know, they're definitely not in that bottom tier by any stretch, but I think they are 
kind of right in that next tier of fighting for that last spot and probably not making it. And, you know, I think the most realistic is is probably like the ninth seed, which I hate to say because, you know, don't want to see, you know, Sylvia follows definitely in, in this stage of her career missing the playoffs. But I have a hard time seeing it personally. Okay, that's fair. I think I forget what I thought about the Lynx going into last season, but I don't think I was very high on them either. Uh, and they did. I don't, actually, I don't even know if they exceeded expectations last season. Like 18 and 16, I feel like was a pretty good, it was a pretty decent outcome for a team that had just lost, you know, like a Hall of Fame point guard and and one of the greatest players ever to play. So yeah, you're right. Cheryl Reeve is, is a tremendous head coach and I, I feel like she's earned the benefit of doubt here, especially also as the GM for building this roster. So We'll see how it plays out. They're, I think they're kind of, like I said, they're kind of playing the long game here. If they wanted to really compete this year, maybe the roster would look a little bit different. But, yeah, I'm not that sold on them. Things are fluid. Again, we don't know what's going to happen with further opt-outs for other teams. But if this team currently is if, – if they're set, like if nobody else opts out, I wouldn't be surprised to see them miss the playoffs, honestly. Like anywhere from 9 to 7, I think, is a realistic target. So we'll see. So I think that'll do it for us. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Um, you can find us on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcast Manager. Eric, this was um, a fun one. You know, we both had our reservations a little bit kind of talking about this team. We, we thought maybe this would be one of our less exciting episodes in terms of content, but I think it, there was uh, more here than we thought. Yeah, man. I mean, 12-team league, there's going to be stuff to talk about for everybody, right? And not everyone can be at the top of the league and not everyone can be a really chaotic rebuilding situation, right? So yeah, there's there's still plenty to talk about here. Um, and actually, you could probably just uh, swing this as like, well, the Minnesota Lynx are interesting because they're in a transition period. So are they going to still go for it or are they going to maybe scale back and rebuild a little bit? So yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, as always, thank you I'll second you. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We really, really appreciate it. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Double Down WNBA or our personal accounts at Trinkwald or at Nemchuk E. Yeah. Thank you so much, everybody. Stay safe and stay healthy.